Hello everyone, welcome back to the Knowledge Group podcast where we're taking a forward look at what speakers are covering at upcoming Knowledge Group events. This webcast, we're going to be focusing on ITC Section 337 Investigations, Trends and Significant Court Rulings in 2018. Webcast is going to go live Thursday, January 17th between 12pm and 2pm Eastern Standard Time. All the information that you need to sign up and participate will be in the description box down below. It is being recorded for on-demand playback. You'll also find the code PODCAST25 in the description box, getting you 25% off your first webcast registration with us. Jordan Coyle is our first speaker, a partner at Auric Harrington and Sutcliffe LLP. We've also got Stephen J. Akerley, a member of Mintz, Levin, Cohen, Ferris, Glofsky and Popio PC. We've also got Daniel M. McCavick, Vice President and Intellectual Property Practice Leader at Charles River Associates. We've also got Carla S. Mulhern, a Managing Principal at Analysis Group. Further information about our panel will be found in the description box down below. Let's turn over to our speakers now. We'll start with Jordan Coyle. Over to him. I'm a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe. For the last 10 years, I've guided clients through fast-paced and high-stakes IP litigation under Section 337 in the ITC. Thanks for taking the time to join our webinar. The ITC had another busy year in 2018, so I will kick off the webinar by describing filing trends and what they mean for litigants in the ITC, especially because the ITC lacked a full complement of ALJs and commissioners for parts of 2018 and begins 2019 in the same posture. Next, I'll describe some significant changes to the ITC's rules that became effective in 2018 and are intended to increase the efficiency of Section 337 investigations. While there were many important changes, I'll focus on those that have had or may have the most immediate effect on active litigation. For example, the amended rules codified the Commission's procedure for resolving case dispositive issues in the first 100 days of an investigation. I'll compare and contrast the investigations in which the Commission instituted a 100-day proceeding with those where it chose not to. Next, I'll discuss what happened after the ITC in 2018, first at Customs and then at the Federal Circuit. 2018 saw a significant increase in a relatively new inter partes procedure available through Customs and Border Protection. As you may know, a company subject to an exclusion order may petition CBP to admit products into the United States that the company believes are outside the scope of that exclusion order. For many years, CBP offered only an ex parte procedure that did not involve the IP rights holder. Litigants have applauded CBP's relatively new inter partes procedure for being fast, efficient, and fair. I'll provide statistics regarding the usage and results of this procedure and an overview of how it works. And finally, I'll review the four 2018 decisions from the Federal Circuit involving Section 337 investigations. Each of these is interesting and instructive in its own right, but perhaps the most interesting point to note is that the Commission lost all four cases. Uh, hi, this is Steve Akerley. I'm a partner in the San Francisco office of Mintz Levin. Uh, for the last uh, 26 years, I have uh, tried both uh, district court uh, patent cases as well as uh, cases at the ITC. Uh, one of the items that I'll be discussing is the interplay between PTAB proceedings and ITC investigations. 
the topics will include stays pending instituted IPRs, and evidentiary use and general consideration of PTAB determinations and decisions, IPR estoppel, and the impact of PTAB proceedings at the remedy stage of ITC proceedings. I'll then discuss some of the developments around both ALJ and Commission decisions that seem aimed at more narrowly tailoring remedies. The topics here will include a discussion of various delays in the execution of limited exclusion orders and the use of certification provisions in a growing number of investigations. There does seem to be some interplay here, as noted with IPRs, particularly when they are at the very late stage or after final written decision. Uh, the question we'll explore is whether we are actually seeing a trend away from typical broad exclusion or whether these decisions are merely limited to those particular circumstances. Finally, I'll talk about trade secrets and the ITC, particularly the impact or perhaps lack thereof of the Defend Trade Secrets Act on trade secret filings at the ITC. And uh, with respect to that topic, we'll take a look at uh, one particular case that found preclusion uh, with respect to trade secret findings uh, based upon a district court case that found preclusion uh, based upon ITC findings in a trade secret case. Hi, my name is Carla Mulher. I'm a managing principal with Analysis Group Incorporated in the Washington, D.C. office. I'm an economist by training, and the majority of my work involves the intersection of economic analysis uh, in complex litigation. Over the past 15 years or so, a substantial proportion of my work has involved um, Section 337 investigations at the ITC. The economic issues I've been called upon to address include economic prong of the domestic industry requirement, remedy issues such as uh, limited exclusion order, general exclusion order, um, cease and desist order, um, the appropriate amount of bond um, during a presidential review period, as well as public interest. Today I'm going to be addressing uh, remedies and in particular the public interest requirement. Um, I will be talking about um, the, the extent to which a public interest considerations can limit the scope of the remedy or can, can lead to a denial of remedy altogether. Um, in the Commission is directed in the event that it finds a violation, the Commission is directed to issue an exclusion order that precludes importation of the accused products from the U.S. unless the Commission finds that such a, an import restriction would be would have an adverse impact on the public interest with respect to four statutory public interest factors. I'm going to address each of those four factors. Those include the impact of the remedy on U.S. public health and welfare, uh, the impact of the remedy on competitive conditions in the U.S. economy, the impact of the remedy on the production of like or directly competitive articles in the U.S., or the impact on U.S. consumers. I'm going to address the fact that historically the Commission has rarely denied relief on public interest grounds, only in three prior investigations where there were, um, where the Commission found significant, significant concerns of, related to national security or policy or health and medical welfare. Um, although increasingly the Commission has um, been inclined to tailor remedies, um, by either allowing um, continued importation of products through, say, a grandfathering provision or limiting the scope of the uh, affected products or by imposing a delay in the remedy. Um, most recently, in 2018, 
the ALJ Pender, Pender issued a recommended determination in the Qualcomm versus Apple litigation, investigation 1065, in which he recommended that the commission deny relief uh, to Qualcomm in spite of a violation, and I'll be discussing some of the reasons for ALJ, uh, underlying ALJ, Pen, ALJ Pender's decision in that regard. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Group podcast. Once again, information about our panel and how to sign up to listen to this webcast will be found in the description box down below, along with the code PODCAST25, getting you 25% off your first webcast registration. We look forward to seeing you at this event and future Knowledge Group events. Take care, everyone. Bye now.